0: Morning, church. I totally left my Bible sitting over here on my chair. I would be that guy. First sermon, yeah. This month. All right. <laughs> uh, so, those of you that are new uh, or hanging out or have not been with us in a bit, we are preaching through 1 Corinthians. And today we're kind of taking a look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to kind of conclude that. We're going to Wrap up um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up there. And if you don't, that's fine. It'll be up on the screen. We do read from the English Standard Version of the Bible here. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers that the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they, are, they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though there were, they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried and the betrothed woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, and his passions—sorry, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It's no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no, necessi- no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the day you've given to us. We thank you for this time to be in your word, and to worship you through the hearing and through the response to your word, and I pray, Lord, that as we we enter into this time, that you would put me aside, that you let the words that are that are here to be your words, that you would just speak to our hearts through the Scripture, and that you would uh, you would really just convict us, you would you would challenge us, and you would have us think deeply on your word, Father. I pray that as we look at this, that you would provide for us solid application, so that we may serve and glorify you better. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, chapters seven through eleven of 1 Corinthians are are interesting because they're really this section on practical Christian living, right? It's it's advice from Paul, um, and and all of the advice here that Paul brings to us comes from his views really about the end time. There, he talks about that. Um, if where to go, uh, but he's talking about how he, he thinks about the end times that, that he believes that. Jesus is coming back at any time. And, and that's how he wants to, to think about this. And, and he was wanting us to realize that too, that, that it's this whole idea that Christ's return could be at any time, and we need to live as that. And this section here starts out with Paul addressing sex and marriage, right? In, in verses 1 through 24, that's where he begins. That because much like the world today, the people of Corinth mistakenly placed their identity in their sexuality. Right, that this was this was where they were kind of convoluted and, and misguided, and, and so all of sections verses seven through one through twenty four deal with how to live for Christ within your marriage, and then beginning in verse twenty five, he's got this advice that is directed toward those who are single or widowed or looking to be married. Now Paul addresses the betrothed, and typically when he's addressing the betrothed, he's addressing young ladies who are eligible. For marriage. Um, sometimes that term might mean in, in the in the in the writing here that they're already promised in marriage to somebody. Think back like Mary and Joseph, Luke chapter two. Right? Or it could simply mean a young woman of marriaging age who's eligible, right? And he wants to give these young ladies some sound advice. He he wants them to know. Um, I think it's funny that it is the word of the Lord, but he says, it's not really from the Lord, but it's from me. Is he's, he's kind of talking about it, it's just advice with someone who walks closely with the Lord and therefore the advice is trustworthy is what he's getting at here, right? He's, he's like, I didn't hear something directly from God. It wasn't like I was shaving in the mirror one morning and God said to me, Paul, this is what you need to say to these guys. It wasn't like that at all. Paul's saying, I've been around the block. I've been in the word deeply. I pray about this stuff all the time. This is some sound, godly advice that you should listen to. And it's funny that Paul's sound, godly advice, things that he didn't feel was from the Lord, apparently are. They've been preserved in Scripture as such. So there you go. That's always interesting to me. But Paul's addressing these people here, and and he's talking about this in this way. that He says in, in verse 26 that he gives us advice in view of the present distress. Now... There's a lot of things, if, we've, if you've been with us through this sermon series through the book of 1 Corinthians, there's a lot of things we could talk about as the present distress. Right? It, it could have a couple different meanings. The, the most commonly held view is that, that Paul believes that the return of Christ is soon, and because of that, believers do not have time to mess around with trivial earthly things like jobs and marriage and families, that those, those to Paul, because of the impending return of Christ, are less important than the things of Christ. Those are worldly matters, and they just don't need to be messed with in his mindset. It's not that these things are bad. That's not what Paul's saying here. But they have this equal merit morally, right? That that, yes, you're going to have to do these things, but it's like in Paul's mindset, I don't have time to be bothered with earthly concerns because I am striving so hard to get people ready for the kingdom of Christ. That's where Paul's kind of coming from. And I think that Paul does have an urgency about the coming of Christ. I don't think there's anything there that we could ever say that. There's no doubt that he has that. But I think he's also warning young singles to consider the state of the well-being of their local church before they get married as well. Um, If you think about everything within context that we've looked at, I mean, it was just two chapters ago, Paul was telling a guy in in the the church at Corinth, stop sleeping with your mother-in-law. Gross right like this is this is the kind of thing that Paul's Paul's getting at like the church in Corinth is kind of a hot mess right now and Paul that could be a major part of the current distress that we're seeing in this church the family of Christ located here in Corinth is in distress these are people who are supposed to be helping you as a young person as a single person through the difficult spots in your marriage and Paul has just had to address the church like I said about a guy who's sleeping with his with his stepmother, not his mother-in-law, but he's sleeping with his stepmother. And then he's, he's got to tell the church, stop engaging in, in frivolous civil lawsuits. You're suing other members of the church instead of working it out amongst yourselves over silly civil matters. And, and And Paul's kind of saying, like, think about this. If you're a young single person, is this the church you want helping you when your marriage gets tough? I don't know that I would go to the Corinth church and say, hey, I got some problems in my marriage. Y'all, y'all know somebody in here who can help me out? No, I don't think that's where you want to go. We also don't know the situation in which the young ladies are betrothed, right? And, and how they're betrothed to the men. These young ladies could have been promised in marriage to men who don't know Christ, uh, and, and breaking a betrothal in this particular type of societal situation is a much bigger deal than calling off a modern engagement. Right? This 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 required legalities. This this required court hearings. This required these sorts of things. It would be potentially better for the young ladies to delay the marriage until their betrothed knows Christ, or until the betrothed calls off the wedding. And that kind of goes back to what we saw in in the first few bits of. Uh, of of chapter 7, the idea that if if you're married and your spouse is an unbeliever and they choose to leave you, there's not a whole lot you can do about that if they're leaving you for the faith. That, 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 that Paul's kind of saying, don't do it. I'm not asking you as a believer in Christ to go leaving somebody for that, but if your spouse who's an unbeliever leaves you, then we're going to deal with the situation the way God has called you to do. Don't go seeking that out. And He's kind of doing the same thing here. But look at what he says, though. And he says this kind of interestingly in verse 29. The appointed time has grown very short. Now, Paul's not one of these guys that's going to get out his charts and his graphs and talk to you about when Jesus is coming back. That's not how he's doing this here. He's not saying that even that, that Christ is coming back in the lifetime of the Corinthians. But he is saying that there are daily affairs that would prove to be unimportant if Christ were to return today. Right? Um... All of the the time from the cross forward in Paul's mindset are the last days. that's, That's where his eschatology, his view of the end times is, that is, that as soon as Jesus died on that cross, was buried, resurrected, we entered into the last days. And so he's watching for that. And as and as followers of Christ, we should live as if we are in the last days because we don't know the time of Christ's return. And it could be any day now, it could be any moment. And a wonderful thing that would happen is if we we're all gathered here worshiping together and boom, he comes back. That would be amazing, but we, we're not promised that. And so, what he's saying here to us, to us is, is that our day to day affairs, those are all a part of this world. They're not eternal, right? Because they're not eternal, we have to prioritize them accordingly. We've got to focus on kingdom matters rather than on worldly dealings. And that's what Paul's getting at. And and as part of that, Paul is then urging believers to remain as they are, whether they're married or whether they're single. Live as God has stationed you in life so that you can best serve the kingdom. And and it's really easy to think about it because because we can become very encumbered by the day-to-day affairs of the world. And as that happens, our focus moves from the kingdom of God to our day-to-day affairs. Married people carry the burdens of their spouses. Leah gets sick. I feel it, right? It burdens me. Leah's family's going through some stuff. It burdens me, right? When when things are going on on my side of the family, it burdens Leah. We become unencumbered or we become encumbered by this stuff. And and that's not bad, but it's just something that can pull us away from the kingdom affairs. And that's what Paul's getting at here. That, That married people carry the burdens of their spouses. Parents carry the burdens of their children. I, I'm, I'm looking out and I'm, I'm seeing moms in this, in this congregation that I know I have spent time in prayer with them and watched them weep over their children's burdens. Again, that is a good thing that God has put those burdens on their heart. And, and he calls them to that. But Paul's getting at, he's unencumbered by that. He can go ahead and do the ministry that he's called to do. And he's encouraging young people to think that way. Because what he's saying here is if one is single, you can remain single and focused on God, and these burdens aren't there for you. The idea of being single and celibate in Corinth 2,000 years ago was as a radical idea as the idea of being celibate and single in North America 2021, right? That that it was just not something done even then. Both marriage and celibacy, we've got to think about this. Single celibacy are, are gifts from God, they, they each one hold their own benefits to the kingdom. Paul is happy with his gift of singleness. Okay? It allows him to be single-mindedly devoted to the work of the kingdom. Not everyone has the gift of singleness. Just like not everyone has the gift of marriage. Neither one is bad. Neither one is a worse condition than the other. They are different states that allow for different ministries. And I think that's important for us to understand. We were having this conversation about this too, that that sometimes these gifts are not permanent. Right? You can have a gift of singleness for a time, a gift of marriage for a time, and if you're widowed, then a gift of singleness again for a time. God's going to use these things in your life so that you can better minister and better proclaim the gospel to other people. Verse 36, the direction moves here a little bit from advice to the ladies. To some advice to guys, right? Now, there's some different, differing, differing views. I'll watch some in here when he says, if anyone thinks he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, right? Some thinks it's kind of a reference to the young men and how they treat the young women they are betrothed to. Others think that it's about the fathers who have made the arrangements for their daughters' marriages. I want to caution us here. We really don't want to read modern dating, modern engagement, modern marriage concepts into Scripture. That's not how marriages worked 2,000 years ago, ancient Near East. That's not how it worked. Um, So we don't want to read that into it. But I think there are some things to be thought about from both sides of that argument. I, I, I think that if we're talking about single young men, single young men need to treat the young women in your life as though they are sisters in Christ. Paul gives that direction to Timothy. Right? They're your sisters in Christ. And they're your sisters in Christ until they're not your sisters in Christ. right? If, if you're pursuing something with them, they're your sister in Christ until you say, I do. Right? That's how that works. That's what he's getting at here. Don't be toying with the affections of, of these young ladies. Don't keep them strung along in hopes of developing a relationship that you don't intend. All of this for young men is a reminder of 1 Corinthians 6.18's call to Flee from sexual immorality. As well as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount section, he talks about oaths, right? And personal integrity. Right? He, Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5, and he starts with verse 37. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. And if guys are not dealing with young ladies in a manner that it's yes and no, or you're playing along, or you're stringing them along, that comes from evil. It's not good for you, not good for her, not good for the church. Definitely hurts the witness of Christ in your life. You've got to be cautious of these things. For fathers, parents in general, right? this is an opportunity to, to have some deep and biblical discussions with your sons and daughters about marriage. And, and honestly, I think the earlier they start, the better they start for you. And I would think about like this, just think about beginning by, by reading through passages like 1 Corinthians 7, Matthew 19, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, Hebrews 13. Let's look at these New Testament passages on marriage and what that means. Now, this isn't necessarily about speaking to your children about your expectations for marriage, but it's about teaching them what God's expectations for marriage are right? This is, this is your call to have discussions about whether or not is calling your children to marriage. He may wish them to be single for the sake of the gospel. He may wish them to be single for a period of time for the sake of the gospel. And these might be some hard conversations to have, right? Because as families, we all want to see children in our families, have a spouse, have kids, right? We, we want to see this. It's it's the idea of, of even carrying on the lineage. You know, I, I would love to think that, that Lee and I could have another little, little prat brat running around the place, you know, but God's not given us that yet. But what we've got to think about is, is the idea that, that God may have something different planned for them, and we have to be okay with God's plans more than we have to be okay with our plans. And that's tough. That's a humbling moment. To know that that God has something bigger in store for the people I love than I have in store for them. And accepting that that I have to be okay with that. That's what we're being called to here. And and we've got to stop and think about some of these things. Verses 39 and and 40, Paul's going to close out the chapter with advice to widows. I, I, in the last six years, have have grown to have a heart different for widows than I ever thought I would. And and most of this is probably at the time that Paul's talking about this, it's probably directed towards young widows, right? And, and all of this advice is that's given to the betrothed would apply to the widows as well. But the biggest thing he says here is that if you are widowed and seek a spouse, seek one who's a dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. If, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and 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 you were widowed out. God is saying, seek somebody who's a dedicated follower of Christ. He kind of gives the uh, let them seek someone they choose kind of idea here, instead of having an arranged marriage for them, right? Let them let them seek this out. This would apply to those who are single as well, right? That seek out that that dedicated follower of Christ. If you claim Jesus in your life, and 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 you're claiming to want to serve Jesus and dedicate your life to Jesus and you will seek out somebody who's not a follower of Christ to be engaged in a marriage to, this is going to be a problem. It's not going to, it's not going to go well. And Paul's giving us this, this warning to heed because of that. So if we look at this, what are some things we can take away from this? What can we take away from 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 40 here? I think one of the things we need to remember is that both singleness and marriage are good gifts. Paul refers to them back when we, when we look at this. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 6 and 7, he says, Now as a concession not a command, I say this, I wish that you were uh, all as myself as I am, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another. These are gifts from God. Whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're widowed, is as hard as that, that is to take, the spot that you've been placed in in your life is a gift from God. And God is a giver of good gifts. Marriage is an amazing gift from God, right? He saw fit to provide for us helpmates through marriage. From the beginning of time, marriage has been a central concept of the blessing of God. But God is still the giver of good gifts and singleness is an amazing gift from God. Being single and celibate is a gift from God. Scripture is saying that that it's, that it's good to be single and it's good to not be sexually active while single. That's the biblical norm, not the world's norm, right? That, that the biblical norm here is a gift from God. Singleness is a good gift from God. And there are New Testament heroes that we can look at like John the Baptist, Paul, Silas, Luke, Titus, Apollos, Lydia, Phoebe, and then Philip, uh, his four unmarried daughters, who used their singleness to further advance the kingdom of God. That that those who are single can use that singleness to the glory of our God. They can use that singleness to, to advance the kingdom. Right now, if you're single... It's not a sin to want to be married. That's okay. right? It's not a sin to desire marriage. But singleness shows that you trust God to work good in your life. And you really do have that. So we see that, that both singleness and, and marriage are gifts from God. Both singleness and marriage display the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, marriage is depicted as the gospel display in Ephesians chapter 5, right? The the husband illustrates Jesus' love for the church by laying his life down for his wife. The wife shows the church's love for Christ by by loving her husband and following his Christ-like leadership, right? Singleness displays the gospel by saying to the world, I have Jesus and he is all my need. My ultimate joy comes from following Christ and Christ alone. In a world that we look around at and we see people want to, to build their ideas around their sex, around their gender, around singleness, around celibacy, all of this stuff, they, they want to do this. But when we're, we're, we're living out a single life the way Christ has called us to, it says out to that world, my identity is bigger than all of this. My identity comes from the one who created all of the universe and it's firmly grounded in him. Christian singleness tells the world the truth that Christ is all we need to experience what we have been created to be. What the world tells us is that we got to experience all these other things to be who we're created to be, and that is a lie. So we see that, that singleness and marriage both display the gospel. Both singleness and marriage bring glory to God, right? It should be the goal of every follower of Christ to glorify God to the fullest, right? The, the, the question is always, but how? How can I glorify God to the fullest? Well, whether we're married or whether we're single, we honor God with our bodies, right? We've been commanded to flee from sexual immorality. This doesn't just mean having sex outside of marriage, right? This includes sexually desiring beyond your marriage. God designed sex within the bonds of marriage for procreation, unification, and recreation for the couple in the marriage. But in in all of this, it's about serving the other person. It's never about, here's what you must do to please me. It's always about, how can I please you? so, So marriage and singleness both honor God and glorify Him through us honoring God with our bodies. And whether you're single or whether you're married, know that your bodies were formed and fashioned by God. Right? We live in a broken world, which means that we have broken bodies with broken desires. But the good news is that Jesus came into this world to sacrifice His body so that we could be made new in Him. Right? God did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus, God in human flesh, came to us and lived a perfect life according to God's word. Right, Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He took our sin, he takes our shame, and he puts it on the cross, paying for our sins and appeasing the wrath of God. Jesus died, was buried, and three days later was raised from the dead, proving sin that he is the only way to be rescued from the sin that separates us from God. And to receive this this gracious, loving gift from Jesus Christ, we must admit our own sin and stop trusting in ourselves. We we need to ask God to forgive us and to trust Jesus, and he'll turn us and turn our lives around and make us new. So so what does this mean for all of us? What does this mean for the body of believers at Calvary Heights Baptist Church Martinsville, Indiana, today's date, right? What does that mean for us? Well, first, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, talk to Chris or I. We want to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We would love to have a conversation with you about, about Jesus and how to know Him and how to follow Him and how to, how to dedicate your life to Him. I want to, I want to invite you to do that. If you're a follower of Christ, it means that you honor God with your marriage, if you're married and you honor God with your singleness, if you're single and you pray for one another in the church, right? Married couples, man, pray for the singles, you know, that are, that are in Christ, help them out, right? Pray that they are glorifying God through their singleness. Don't pressure them to get married. Don't try to set them up right? Encourage them to be content with Jesus as their source of joy so they may thrive where God has them. And I'm saying this because I was a guy who was single well into my thirties. I've been there. I've felt the pressures from well-meaning church members, right? I was told my standards were too high and that's why I was single. Y'all, God's standards for marriage are high, It's okay if you're a single Christian and your standards are high, good for you. You should have high standards. I was told as a single person serving the Lord that that I was just extending my adolescence. I don't know anybody would have told Paul that. But I was told those things. My favorite one is I was told that I was not qualified to be a minister because I was not the husband of one wife. Paul, Apollos, Timothy, John the Baptist, Jesus. All of these things are untrue, right? I was as a single person able to minister in ways that I cannot as a married man. Right? It's not that it's not that I don't love being with Leah, and and that's great. God has given me an amazing gift in her. But God wanted me single for that time and for those purposes. And it was okay to accept that. Encourage single believers in Christ to see that time as a gift rather than a burden. Pray for the marriages within our own congregations. Pray they honor and glorify God. Marriage is hard work. (laughs) Pray that married couples within the church don't grow weary of that work. We've recently within, within our family have witnessed, heartbreakingly, people grow weary of the hard work that is a marriage. And it hurts. It hurts us to see loved ones throwing away a gift from God. Pray that, that that marriages within our congregation exemplify the gospel to those around them. Pray them, pray for these couples to find ministries and ministry opportunities together. Pray that they honor and encourage their spouses in such a manner that, that the passion they share for one another is evident. And obviously, from the Lord God Himself. I think of of some married couples that I know that have been married in Christ for a long time. And I think of some that have gone on to be with the Lord. And I think about those moments in which, in their 90s, 60 plus years of marriage, they're flirty. And you just look at them and you go, that's Jesus living in them. They're not flirty just for the sake of flirty, but they're flirty because they love one another, and they and they they want to see the other person have joy in that marriage. Pray that pray that the young marrieds in our church get to that point, right? Pray that pray that they honor God and that their marriages are obviously made by Him. Pray from those within the church that have lost a spouse. As so I said, this has been the last six years something that's really afflicted me. Pray for their grief. right? Pray for them to have comfort through, through grief as it comes in, and just kind of waves and it comes unexpectedly. I, I was spending some time this last week in Phoenix with my grandmother and she would be totally embarrassed. And I'm glad she doesn't have Facebook to see this. But I watched... This last week is this woman who has been widowed twice in her life. I watched his moments of grief. We're now 15 years after her second husband passed away. And I watched his moments of grief would still just creep up unexpectedly. You don't know when it's going to hit them. They don't know when it's going to hit them. Pray for them to have that kind of comfort. Pray that they hold no bitterness because of the circumstances in which they lost their spouse. Pray for them to find joy in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And pray for them to find opportunities to minister to others in ways that only those who have had their experiences can minister to others with. As a church, pray for us altogether that we see that our marital status is a gift from God whether we're single whether we're 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 married whether we've been widowed as as odd as that sounds pray that we see these things as a gift from God and a gift from God that displays the gospel and brings him glory and pray as a church that we live that out for the rest of our community to see so that they may see Jesus at work in our lives let's go to the Lord in prayer Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for this time we've had to just be in your word. I thank you for gifts like singleness and like marriage. I thank you for the ability to use those gifts that you have given us as a way to honor you, to glorify you, to live out the gospel for your sake. Father, I pray that as we go from here as we step outside the walls of of calvary heights baptist church and we step into the community of martinsville indiana and morgan county You would teach us to live where we are for you teach us as as a congregation to pray for one another to lift them up and to to hold them close in prayer pray for the singles within our congregation and and the widows within our congregation that they would would be able to to glorify and minister to people in ways that those of us who've not been through that can't do. Father, for the married couples, we pray that as as ministry teams that you've designed us to be, that we we would be able to present the gospel out and share with others. Father, let us live a life that glorifies you and proclaims the gospel, no matter our status. It's in Jesus' name.